Irvin McManus and his son Aaron were walking on a beach, and Aaron was about 8 to 10 years old, and of course he's a grown man, those of you know uh, Irwin, their, uh, Aaron has grown up over the years and in ministry with him. He's about 8 to 10 years old, and they were outside a beach, on, on, on a, outside a hotel at a beach, and this uh, the disabled gentleman had got somewhere down close to the ocean and was working his way back, but it was, had a, a forearm crutches. He was trying to work his way back, but couldn't make it. It kept falling in the sand and kept falling and kept falling. And they were watching this, and all of a sudden, Aaron, 8 to 10 years old, takes off running out there trying to help him, trying to lift up this grown man. And it ain't happening. It ain't working. And he's trying and he's trying, and all of a sudden, uh, these other people who had been watching this whole time finally get up and go help the gentleman to the sidewalk. And the gentleman was able to go on about his day. But Aaron comes running back to Irwin, again, this 10-year-old, 8-10-year-old boy, just crying. He said, Dad, I wanted to help him, but I couldn't. And this is what Irwin said to him. He said, oh, son, you helped him. Because you did more than anyone else. You noticed the need and inspired and influenced others to respond. Ignite a response. Will your life and your actions ignite a response in others? See, when you respond to what you know God is showing you, either by seeing or listening or moving and obeying, especially obeying, there is no way you can know in that moment. There is no possible way, I don't think, unless the Lord just gives you a glimpse of it, and he could. There's no other way you can know what the full impact will be by you being obedient. You don't get to decide that. All you're asked to be is what? Obedient. What you're asked to be, and I know that word doesn't fit everybody's lingo, whatever the right word is, I just see it in Scripture, so I just use it. But God leans on you, if you will. He impresses. We talked about that a few weeks ago. How does that determine? Well, I, sometimes you just, just got to go. It seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit, so we did it. But we try to listen, and we try to see with the eyes of Christ. We try to do those things, and we obey. We don't know the ripple effects of that. Chasing daylight. Movement is this week, ignite a reaction. It's no surprise that when God is moving, there's a human agent of change often. He uses human beings. We've, we've said it a hundred times here, right? Or at least, I know it's exaggeration, but maybe close. You may feel like you've heard it a hundred times. He chose us as his instruments. And it seems like what? A bad plan. Okay? Because we are who we are. But he did choose that route. So he uses human beings to make change in the world. And I was reading again back through the book this week, and there was a phrase that just, that just jumped out at me as Irwin's writing this, and I thought, man, that's just, I don't know if I've ever thought about it this way. We hear Jesus saying, I mentioned to the Uncommon class this morning, but it's where Jesus is saying, you know, if, if, if you watch my life, and you want to know what the Father's like, just watch my life because I do what he says. So if you want to know what 
God the Father looks like, if you will, then just watch me. I know this is going to sound arrogant or sound bold, but what if your life said, if you want to see God, watch my life. You go, that's kind of cocky. For his agents. Christ-like. I'm going to read out one of the most probably repeated, maybe not right straight out of Scripture, but repeated in locker rooms and all kinds of ball fields and everything else around the world. Uh, I say around the world, but sure here in the U.S. you've heard it so many times, but around the world, and it's the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to pick a verse out of that. And like I said, many of you probably read it or heard it and may not even know all the details. And of course, I've preached a whole sermon series just on each line, (laughs) okay, and breaking it down and understanding it a little better. But this then is Jesus' word. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Matthew 6, if you're looking that up, it should be on the screen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Where I want to land, though, is on verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And that should not surprise us at all that Jesus talks about the kingdom here and, and because he's, the first sermon he ever preached, repent for the kingdom of God is what? At hand. It's on you. It's right now. So it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, you read the Sermon on the Mount as you, as you read through it. It's all about the kingdom availability. It's about anybody can engage the kingdom. So when Jesus puts this inside of the prayer, and this is how you should pray, if you will, and he's teaching the disciples, it's, that shouldn't be shocking that he says, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus says to the disciples, and I won't read, we don't have it up there in Matthew 13 or Mark 4, said the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. To those who know Christ, we are operating and cooperating in partnership with God. You have the keys to the kingdom within you. We don't think about kingdoms a lot. It's not the phrase we use a lot unless we're referring to this. We don't even think about the implications of it a lot. But it is a revolutionary thought. When Jesus came, this was revolutionary. You know, we talk about it often, you know, and, and I don't. Those you know me, I don't preach politics from this pulpit except this. I belong to the kingdom. That's political. <laughs> okay, it just is. Christ is Lord. That is, if you will, political. <laughs> I'm part of a holy nation. My point, that is, is not to make you disturbed this morning. My point is, when we talk about the kingdom, the imp- Jesus got nailed to a cross basically because it was political. So I just want to make sure you understand, 
I'm not going to preach it up here to who you should vote for and all those kind of things. You're just not going to hear it from me. But what I will say is what we preach here is another nation. So when Jesus comes and says the kingdom is at hand, it was revolutionary. So the implications of that for us should be weighed out. Because he says, as he does to the disciples, you have the secret. Can you imagine having that this whole thing we're talking about, this whole life we run through, that somehow or another, and people are so, including me in many ways, there's so, many, so much consternation about life and trying to figure it out and trying to put, and somebody says, hey, I think they got the key to it. Maybe you should go talk to them. I think they have the key. Like obviously it's complicated how that works out. Because lives are complicated. Your life's complicated. My life's more complicated than it should be. But it is. But it should be pretty staggering when we begin to think about every day, wherever you go, you have the keys and the secret to this whole life. I love what Dallas Willard says. He's talking about the kingdom and the divine conspiracy. If you've ever read that, it's awesome to read it partly. That's all I've done, so there you go. Uh, you know, it's one of those books you start reading going, I can't read this by myself. I need to be with people, be with people way smarter than me <laughs> to help me figure this out. <laughs> Because this dude is writing in a way I need to be in. I need to be in a community. So I started reading it, but I got some quotes out of it, so I'll do that, right? That said, okay. But I love what he says. He said, but nevertheless true that we are made to have dominion. Now think about Go back to the garden. Before the fall. We are created with dominion, to have dominion. But in check though, Right? So let me finish this. With an appropriate domain of reality, this is the core of the likeness or the image of God in us. And it's the basis for the destiny for which we are formed. We were formed. It's the destiny. It's your destiny. We are all of us never ceasing spiritual beings with a unique eternal calling to count for good, to count for good. In God's great universe. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, be, and to put on the new self, created, created. You were created to be like God. Not to be God. You're not going to someday become a God. But to create and be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. You know why we preach holiness? Because I think we can back it up. You have a dominion. You have a kingdom. Well, it goes on to say, the kingdom of God is God reigning, 
It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. God's reign is all around you and, in his, and is in form everlasting to everlasting. It is the natural home of the soul. But here's the deal about the kingdom of you and me. It's where I want what done, what, wherever, whatever I want done is done. That's my kingdom. It is what I can control. My purse, my car, my finances, my body. But what's so awesome is, is that I get the opportunity to bring my kingdom or queendom or wherever you want to phrase it into his kingdom. The kingdom is about things that matter. Meaningful work. Something important, something eternal. Meaningful work gets you up in the morning. It pulls you out of bed. It drives you. But as I said earlier, the kingdom of God, the kingdom is not simply God's own activity, but it's his activity through his people. God's not going to force you, but he may compel you. God won't make you, but he may put a desire in you that you go, I have to go do this. I have to. I don't know how, but I have to do this. It may be moment by moment where I have to go speak to that person. I have to. God, something stir me. I got to go do this. It may be a lifelong call of a have to. You've heard me talk about it before. Sometimes those calls is that I have to, then I get to, meaning I recognize and I'm honored that I'm done doing it, but it may also reach a point, you may not ever reach a point I want to, but I sure have to because God is calling me. But I love what Blaine Pascal says, God has dignified man with causality. The power to do things. So many things are out of our control. I get it. But there are so many things under your control that you've got say-so over. And you're too worried about things that are out of your control. You may need to just sit down and make a list of things that are in my control. That I can now can move under the kingdom. This is my, com- com- this is my kingdom. This is my dominion. I have say-so over all this. And I'm going to take everything that I have say-so over and move it under the king of kings. Well, this happened to me or that happened to me. I, can't, didn't, I didn't control all that. I get it. Believe me, I've, I've had some of those situations just recently. But what I can control, I want to bring into his kingdom. We had folks praying in here early this morning. Prayer is a kind of causation. Or we wouldn't do it. I shouldn't say that. Some of you just pray and just hope that it works, right? And I get that. I love what uh, the writer here, I don't even know who it was, says prayer is so powerful it cannot be left entirely in our hands. Because when you pray, you're bringing into an engaging or entering a realm of prayer, prayer that a power, realm of power that threw the cosmos into place. 
I don't think you want me to have that kind of power unlocked, unchecked. Start by praying. If you're just trying to figure out, okay, what should I be praying about? Start by praying about the things that you have dominion over and praying about how you're going to put it under his dominion. That'd be a great place to start praying. What is, under, what is in my kingdom? What do I have say-so over? And just slide that right under his. Because when we pray specifically... We're tapping into a larger system of causality. Your will be done. Movement. You know, I think about this prayer, how many times it's been prayed, and who it's been prayed by. <laughs> People who have no faith in God at all pray this for a ball game or whatever, or after a ball game, and they just pray, they're just praying it, right? Your kingdom come. Okay. Your will be done. And not asking what's your will. Just your will be done. Because here's the problem with that prayer. If you're going to pray your kingdom come, you've got to live into the second part. It says your will be done. Because the reality of this prayer, as we read it this morning, is a prayer of submission. McManus talks about the caution about prayer, because I want to go back to that, because this is what we're, Jesus speaking on prayer here to the disciples, and Pascal talking about the causality, especially specifically of prayer, is that one of the things that, that, uh, that McManus really brings in his book, and I've said it to you years and years, is that there's some things you don't need to pray about. You're late to the appointment. Okay? You don't need to be praying about it anymore. You just need to be running. You need to be trying to run it. You need to be running trying to catch up with what you've been praying about for so long because you've been praying to try to avoid what you already know. You don't have to pray about whether I should love that person that's so different from me. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to pray about forgiveness or unforgiveness. You don't need to pray about it anymore. Right? You may need to pray for that person. may need to pray for you. But you don't need to pray whether you should. And it's because causality. God's going to use you in a mighty way. You don't need to pray about whether you should be stingy or greedy. There's just so many things that I think we just say, well, I'm going to, and, we, and I, we use it as a running joke in our family. Sometimes I use it when somebody asks me something I don't want to do, what do I usually say? All right, let me pray about it. How many of you ever do that? It's just kind of my way out. But we all know it's in jest and joke, so it's not like that's really how I operate. God has spoken on so many things. You know, I've just had this kind of a things pop in your head. You know, you just get negative. I'm reading right now where all the real, real wealthy people are building bunkers. I don't know if you've read that. They're buying islands and building bunkers for whenever. 
Now, I think about that and go, you know, if we've been talking about the last few weeks, you know, for, for Doomsday, mainly for that. If you're praying about that, maybe, maybe you should be. And of course, I know there's context to all that, but I would just say this. I don't think God's going to be in the cave at that point. He's going to be out there where the people are hurting. And he's not building bunkers. Where's the kingdom of God? It's at the U.S.-Mexico border. In New York City, it's at the White House. Where's it available? It's in all those places. From Gaza to North Little Rock, the Navajo Nation to Israel, to Ukraine to Yemen to Russia, the kingdom is available. The streets of Biltmore Estates, to Camelview Elementary, to Victory Place, to GCU, GCU to ASU, at 11th Avenue in Madison, and Van Buren, where so many are forgotten. Is it available to them? every sacred beautiful color of humankind regardless of political leaning regardless of lifestyle where's the kingdom available where can it be found all those places can you imagine a church being in the places where people need God the most what a concept kingdom of God can be found when you're out and about at the grocery store at the ball field at your workplace where you're engaged and influential I believe we're supposed to spend our time in igniting reaction in such a way that we're just trying to usher in the kingdom of God that's all we're trying to do What if it could be said about your life? Watch my life, and you will see God. What if your life, by just being alive and living and trying to do the best you can to follow after God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that it compels other people? I think one of the greatest things about living and trying to be obedient, you often ignite other people's opportunity for them to be obedient, for them to walk in their calling. Because if you didn't, they couldn't. Because God uses humans to do that. From small decisions to major ones, there's causality. You do not live in a vacuum. We've talked about it through this whole series. It's urgent.
got one shot at this thing. Like I told the, the was, I'm actually quoting McManus's statement. He says, before you hear it from anyone else, I want you to know that I'm dying. But so are you. And it shouldn't come as a depressing thing. It should come as an exciting thing. And it should wake us up to go, man, I got one shot at this thing. Let's get after it. Let's go. Let's move. Let's, let, let's ignite a reaction. Let's just don't be always reacting, but let's cause it. Because we're following after God, and sure, we'll miss it sometimes. Sure, we'll stumble along, and sure, you'll go, man, I should have probably thought about that a little more, but man, I'd rather be found chasing after God like that and messing some things up than setting back, continuing to pray about things I already know I should be doing. That's for sure. Years ago, I was, a good friend of mine shared this story with me, and I've shared it a few times since then about a young man in high school in Philadelphia. He'd go to summer camp. At that summer camp, you know, like those of you who've been to youth camps and everything, you know what it's like, that Thursday night high, you know, and you know what that's like. How many in here can tell me? You know, I've had a little bit of Thursday night high from, I don't mean like high as, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you had that too, some search camps. I don't know. But my point is this. He was at the altar and praying with his youth pastor, and he just somehow another this just thing came up, and something big's going to happen this year in my school. I'm going to be involved in something big this year. His youth pastor affirmed him, began to meet with him, and as they kind of went through the fall, nothing really happened. He just tried to stay consistent, tried to do the things he was supposed to do. Went all the way in almost to Christmas. Nothing huge had happened. Just kind of like, okay. You know, you talk a few people. A few people may come to church. But nothing big, you know. And so got into the new year. And somewhere inside the semester, he was sitting in English class one day. And the English teacher asked the question. He was sitting on the th- third row, towards the back of the third row of the, of the class. And the question was, just share what your favorite kind of music is. And... He was sitting there just going, okay, you know, and, and of course for him, for him, it was Christian music. And as they were going down the row, he just felt this impression to tell the class it's Christian music. Even though he figured it was probably going to be a little awkward because at that point it wasn't as big as it is today, you know, to say that you listen to Christian music. But back then it wasn't as much. And so he goes down the first, first row and that was it. And he said, in the second row, I started going down the second row. And he said, the Holy Spirit just impressed on him, tell, people, tell them your favorite song is Jesus Loves Me. And he kind of froze. Well, I can't do, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I, yeah, Christian music, okay. I can name some, but Jesus loves me. And so he goes down the second row, and he's coming down the row he's on, and the Holy Spirit impressed on him and said, don't just tell him Jesus loves you. I want you to sing it. And he is locked up. The girl in front of him has a heavy metal shirt on. She stands up, because you had to stand up to tell your music. She stands up and tells some, you know, heavy metal group or groups or whatever. Then it comes to him. Just trying to be obedient, he stands up. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Probably not as much joy as I'm singing. Uh, (laughs) Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. 
Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The girl in front of him stands up and turns around and looks at him and says, I want what you've got. And it started a revival at our high school. You never know. You just never know. To ignite a reaction where your obedience moves other people into their divine moment, into that moment that God has brought them. And often you don't get a warning, you don't get a text, you don't get a letter. They still send those things. You don't get an email, whatever it is. You don't get a post. You already have to be ready. Watch my life. Watch my life. I love what McManus says as the band comes back up and we're going to move to a time of communion. He said, our obedience creates a spiritual epicenter to which God shakes up the world around us and others come to know him. In obedience, we magnify the presence of God. In obedience, we magnify the presence of God. This week, this song that we sang, and I think we're going to sing it again for communion. Our neighborhood has to love this song because I played it so many times with my windows open over here. So, and I play it so loud, you probably could hear it. And I play it, if those who know me, I'll play a song a hundred times, literally a hundred times. I mean, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating on that. As I'm working and just letting that kind of wash over me. But worthy of it all, It's something we should grapple with, just wrestle with. Because when we come into this room, as you've heard me say often, you shouldn't walk out today and go, how did Pastor Kurt do? Unless you're going to say, awesome, you can do that. Unless you say that. Because what we do in this room, it's a worship service. We come to tell him how much he's worth to us. That's what you're doing in here. Unless you don't know him as your personal savior, you're missing out, but I get it because I was there until I was 27 years old. And I understand it. But we as believers come on a Sunday and we should be preparing ourselves before we get here to walk into this room but whatever we've been through and whatever's happened, we come this day and we tell God and tell everybody else what he is worth to us. And when we sit in our car and drive home, we need to be asking the question, God, how did we do? Not how did Pastor Kurt do? How did Pastor Josiah do? Not how did this music do? Now, how did I do today? Because I really want you to know, I really want you to know what you're worth to me.
So as we come to the table in community, intergenerationally, and we come with open communion, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a part of this church or any church as far as that's concerned, if, you, if that's the case. We encourage you to do that. But we come today. Part of what we're saying is you're worthy of it all. But remembering what he has done for us, what he is doing in us, and what our future looks like with him. It starts with remembering. Let's just take a few minutes. Scripture tells us to examine ourselves. We'll come in a few moments. Just let me give you a logistical part of this. Is if you're here for the first time, just come down these aisles. Come around and go back to your seat down the middle aisles and do the same over here. But let me just pause for us. And I'm going to pray for us. Just examine. just remember as oft as you do it do this in remembrance of him the night that he was betrayed the bread and broken representing his body he took the cup the wine representing the blood that would be shed for us. So Lord, as we come again around your table, as your family, would help us today one bring our kingdom into your kingdom as we said last week everything every key everything we have every closet every drawer whatever illustration you're pulling off of it's all on the table push to the middle of the table and taking our hands off of it and you do with our kingdom our queendom you, we put that under yours, and Lord, in cooperation and in partnership, we're going to move forward. We're going to move. We're not going to just keep sitting. We're going to move. We will pause when you lead us to pause. But otherwise, Lord, when your word said for us to go, we're just going to assume that's movement. Help us ignite a reaction from people around us because the way that we live our lives. 
understanding that the kingdom of God can be found anywhere. So Lord, help us now as we come around your table as a family. We do this for your glory. And the benefit, for sure for us, Lord, and the comfort to our souls. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.